All right, good morning, everyone. It's just after 9.30, so I think we will get started. I brought up a stool today in case I get tired, so we'll see if I can uh, be strong enough to stay standing. I um, was so active during Memorial Day weekend that I've got a lower back issue. It fired up, and I went to play golf on Wednesday, and I could only play nine holes. So, yeah, I was like, oh. So, thank you. I appreciate the sympathy, um, but I know it's a tragic story. So, uh, Brother Howie, I, I might be too old to golf with you, unfortunately. So, um, got the stool, so we're good to go, just in case something happens here. But um, I'm, I'm feeling good, so praise the Lord for that. All right, we are transitioning here. We, we had that transitional week last week where we uh, kind of put the wraps on our study on bibliology, and we started shifting our focus over to theology proper, uh, which is a look at God the Father and his attributes. So that's the question we're going to try to answer. Again, we talked about this is, this is tough to do as, as a human to try to explain God, uh, deity, uh, but we're going to do uh, due diligence over the next several weeks to see what our God is like. Uh, so I thought we'd start with a group activity today. And uh, I, I might bounce around the room here. We won't necessarily divide up into different tables, that sort of thing. But uh, these are the attributes that in our study book that we're going through, the Grudem study book, uh, he's listed these out. I, I did add one on at the very end, I think is important for us to cover um, but this is a pretty good summary of the attributes we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks. And if you don't mind, can you, can you look at these? And, and don't worry about the, the red check mark versus the black check mark. That, that's not any type of clue or, or anything like that. But can you just do a mental exercise and ask yourself, which attribute most defines God? Of all of these attributes listed here, is there one that maybe overshadows the rest of them based upon what you know of Scripture, maybe uh, different hymns you've been singing over the years. So just take a moment, go through this list, and then we'll, we'll see what we can come up with. I hate to make this into a popularity contest, but um, I'm just curious to see what you think in terms of God's attributes. So once you scan this over, and then if anybody has scanned it over and they've come up with the right answer, uh, go ahead. All right, so we've got one. We've got one vote for God is omnipotent. So He's all powerful. That's that's a good one, Grant. I don't know that this would be the, uh, the most defining, but the one that I always think of is immutability. And the reason for that is uh, our world always changes. Our people change. We culturally change. Uh, we change. That's a blessing, isn't it? Wayne? Kind of like asking where were your children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Wayne. Do you, you have one? <laughs> That's good, Dan. Um, I think in Scripture, the thing that comes to my mind most that God is holy is the angel declared it. Uh, scripture declares it. Yeah, I, 
Yeah, I was waiting for that one because we see the angels are around the throne, holy, 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 uh, also noted in Isaiah 6. That does seem to be one that's a, a good possibility, yeah, for sure. And then we've got that hymn, holy, 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 that we like to sing as well. Okay, we've got some good answers so far. These are, these are, this is a tough competition. Now, Wayne, I'm going to take your answer as um, you're not going to identify one over the others, right? That's true. Any, any others? Yes, John. I say God is love because love is all-encompassing. Okay. So far, just to recap, we've had omnipotence. We've had they're like your kids. We've had holy. We've had immutable. And we've had love. And First John 4, 8 comes right out and says that, right? God is love. And perfect. Thank you. Yes, perfect. Love covers all, right? Goes back to 1 Corinthians 13. The greatest of these is love, right? Any other, uh, any other votes for any of these attributes of God? And again, this is not an exhaustive list, but this is the, the group we'll focus in on. Uh, yes, Abby? I was going to say God is love. Okay. God is love. Another vote. So in the popularity contest, love is ahead with two. Two to one to one to one to one, I think. All right. Okay, anybody else before we move on from this popularity contest? Here we are as humans trying to, trying to say, all right, I think this is the, the one that maybe supersedes the rest of them. Okay, so um, Wayne, I think you are, you're, you're on to something here. So at the very end of the chapter, I don't know if any of you have looked ahead, Grudem makes the case that this attribute of God about his unity of all of his attributes so there is a wonderful unity of all of these within God. Hence, he is God. Uh, he, 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 again, some of the language I'm going to try to use will seem superficial and doesn't quite cut it, I feel, as we're going to go through this study. But let's look at what this means here. Oh, come on, clicker, you can do it. Ah, oh, the clicker's not working. Bummer. All right, so no single attribute outweighs another. Uh, because God is indeed a perfect unity of divine attributes. So he is truly God, transcendent from fallen humanity, who on our best days are a fair mishmash of some of these attributes. And the only reason why is this is thanks and glory to Christ who accomplished the work of salvation and the Holy Spirit who convicts and convinces us of sin and helps us bear fruit and reflect our creator in whose image we were created. So God is gracious enough to allow us to actually reflect him in some of these ways with some of these attributes. And that, again, goes back to this idea of communicable versus incommunicable attributes. Okay, so let's dive into some of these attributes today. The first one we're going to look at is he exists eternally. And I I believe I mentioned this last week, but what I will try to do is combine some of these. There are so many attributes we're going to try to make our way through. In the book, Grudem separates out God's existence versus God's eternality. So for us, we're going to combine those two things today and look at uh, this 
this attribute of God, which, of course, is one of those attributes that we're going to ask this question every time, so I will ask it now. Is this a communicable attribute or an incommunicable attribute? I'll need to redefine it, right? So communicable means this is an attribute that God passes along to us, and we can reflect it. Some of these will be very clear, that they are only God's attributes. Some of them will be pretty clear that he's passed it on to us, but some will be a little bit in the middle, all right? So is it safe to say that for existing Eternally, this is an incommunicable attribute that only God has. We don't exist eternally, right? We were not there before the foundation of the world. So we're going to chalk this one up to incommunicable. So how do we define this? God has life in and of himself, and there's a theological term. I don't know if you've seen it before, but if not, uh, would like to introduce it to you. It's called aseity, and he has no beginning and no end. You and I have had a beginning, all right? And in the, our mortal bodies, we're going to have an end. Uh, the good news is we will have resurrected bodies as believers. So that is something to enjoy the rest of eternity with God. But this idea of aseity is really an interesting one that belongs only to God, uh, he, he exists eternally, and this existence is in and of himself, all right? So you think about our existence. We're, we're not, when we were formed, it wasn't anything to do. We, we didn't do anything about that, did we? That, that, was, that was separate. Those were two separate uh, beings that, that brought us into existence, and God is ultimately the source of life. But God, with his aseity, in and of himself, exists eternally. And that's a, that's a wonderful concept and, again, kind of allows him to be above and beyond anything that we are in our existence. Another, another word that's a great word is this idea of transcendency, and you saw it mentioned on the previous slide. So this idea of transcendency is a little bit different than a seity. So with transcendency, this is the idea of being above and beyond surpassing all human limitations. And so when you talk about Christ coming to earth, what is the word that sometimes is used to, to describe what happened there? If, if, he's tran- if God is transcendent, but then God in the form of his son comes to earth, he has to do what? Descend, right. And if you add on a little bit of a negative connotation there, it's condescend. So I've got to I've got to come down with you who are much lower level than I am, and I've got to spend time with you. So we say Christ condescends, but God in his state is transcendent above and beyond. He doesn't deal with the different limitations we have to deal with here on this earth. And really, um, I I think these ideas of aseity and transcendency, if we don't fully understand that, it's sometimes easy for us and, and definitely unbelievers who've got this shallow and maybe sometimes totally um, denial, if, if you might say, a shallow understanding of God, and they like to put God in the same plane as, as we are, which, which is clearly a blasphemy. So he is transcendent, and he's... 
Let's move on here and take a look at some proof texts. So it's interesting in the very first verse of our Bible, written, of course, by Moses, he says this, with the first four words, there isn't even time taken to go through and try to make the case for God. It's just matter of fact, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And isn't Moses in an interesting place to be able to come out and say that? And he, he does as well later on, we'll see too. Hopping to the, to the New Testament, another proof example of God's eternal existence. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And what's great about some of these passages, they cover the past tense, they cover the present tense, and then they cover the future tense. You and I, we can cover the present tense pretty well, right? We have a little bit of a history here on this earth, but in light of eternity, the Bible says it's like a vapor. It just appears for for a moment, and then it's gone. But God has existed from eternity past into eternity future. And here's Psalm 90, uh, verses 2 through 4, and again, making reference to Moses. This is to... Some believe this is the oldest psalm written by Moses. And look what he says here in Psalm 90. He says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. And I love the perspective of Moses, who had such an intimate relationship with God. Uh, he had no writing that God exists and his existence spans eternity. So can you think of any, we've shared some proof texts here from the Old and New Testament, can you think of any specific examples in the Bible where God himself just made this point very clear that I am an eternally existent being? Good example. So the answer was Job, when Job and God are having this dialogue, and God says, all right, Job, where were you uh, before the world was formed? So, yeah, that, that certainly is one, one that came to my mind, too. That's good. Any others? Where God was trying to stamp this idea of I am an eternally existent God. All right, Mark said in the example of Moses in the burning bush, God said, I am. So good, good answers. Look at that. There's the, there's the record Mark shared, Exodus 3.14. And there we go, Brother Lacoste, Job's example. You guys were in my notes, weren't you? How'd you, how'd you do that? Yeah, those were two striking examples to me of times where God had to just say, hey, remember your, your humanity and who you're dealing with here, I've been, I've been here the whole time. Thank you. Thank you very much. So that's good. Now, as we think about this, we live in a world where, unfortunately, we're dominated by secular humanist thinking. 
and their understanding of God existing eternally. And we've got to be aware of this because we're trying to win them. We're trying to get them to see there is a God. But what do they think? Well, they either say God is dead or he has never existed. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody who will just flat out say there is no such thing as God? Uh, God has died. And if you have, have you had success pointing them to an eternally existent God? So what was shared is that people tend to put God under a microscope and they want some type of um, deal cut with God uh, to prove his existence to them. And I, I do think those are common factors. Yes, Grant? Thank you. So uh, Grant shared that without the working of the Holy Spirit in the life of an unbeliever, they're not going to come to an understanding because we as humans don't have some type of magical human power to be able to say there, there is a God and, and to prove it on our own, right? Uh, so, yeah, that, that's, that's said well. And, and secular, again, that's talking about people, majority of our world coming at it from an anti-faith, anti-religion perspective. And humanistic means they're going to put all their weight into the human side of things. They, they elevate humans above God, unfortunately. So, yeah, we've got to make sure we as believers are looking to God and keeping in mind his transcendency and his aseity, but then how do you, how do you best share that? Right, so what was shared is some proofs have been given, including the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So onlookers could say, yeah, that's, that's a miracle. That's an example of a, a, a God. Doug? Good point. So Doug shared that there are some hints as we look around us in the natural world that there, there is a creator. And so the, the argument takes place. Uh, 
are they trying to convince themselves because God has said they're without excuse by looking around at creation, or are they just trying to make our lives more, more difficult? Okay, good. So let's, uh, let's move on here. Some proof texts, and we shouldn't be surprised at this type of thinking that exists in the world because God says here in Psalm 10.4, pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. So it's nice when we we see scripture validated in front of our very eyes in the world we live in. Okay, so let's, if you'd all turn to Romans 1, and this is going to back up a little bit of what's just been shared. I know this is a passage we spent a little time with as we looked at bibliology, but I I thought it would be good for us to walk through uh, Romans 1, 16 through the end of the chapter, verse 32 today, um, because... I guess they tell me the world is celebrating something called Pride Month this month. And um, I I think this scripture not only goes to uh, God's existence and how he can be seen, but it also is a reminder about what a slap in the face this idea of Pride Month is to our God. So Romans 1, 16 through 32. Some folks see this first verse, verse 16, as maybe the, the key verse of the whole book Romans. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal, there's one of our attributes we're talking about right now, his eternal power, and we'll get to the omnipotent attribute in the later week, and divine nature have been clearly perceived. So there's that hint. All right, We're picking up on something here because of what we're seeing around us. Ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. All right, so what's the result? Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. I love it when Paul has some of these things he's writing, and he's, he's just so emphatic and excited about what he's written. He says, Amen. And that happens also if we get to one of my other passages today, Colossians 1. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. 
And we are seeing that lived out more and more each day. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And verse 32 kind of caps off this month we have to deal with in our society. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So I thought this was a fitting text. Again, not only talking about uh, the existence of this eternal God, um, but as we're dealing with the month of June, unfortunately, in our country, uh, we've got to be able to see and identify as sad as things are, this is what God's word said will happen. So we should not be too surprised uh, by this. Uh, But we should be burdened and we should be mindful that it's not a matter of treating these people with disrespect and throwing hate at them. That's not the idea. They need the Lord. And it's our job to share the Lord with them. Because as has already been alluded to, we need the help of the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of these people, but we also need to proclaim the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay, let's move on here to our second attribute today. That one took a little bit longer, but that's okay. He is independent and has freedom. Our God is independent and has freedom. And this can be defined as follows. Who he is and what he wills is not based on anything or anyone outside of himself. And it goes a little bit back. You see some of these ideas intermingling here, this idea of a seity, and he is at total liberty to do so. So uh, we, we live in a country where we love our independence, we love our freedom, and we can, to some degree, identify with that. So let me ask the this attribute, is it communicable or is it incommunicable? Can we share in this attribute or is this a God and God alone attribute, this idea of independence and freedom. Incommunicable. Okay. All right. We've got one vote for incommunicable. I like it. Okay, so by God creating us, by definition, you're saying he would be independent, we're dependent, so your vote is for incommunicable. So we've got two votes, right? Incommunicable, incommunicable. Grant. That's true. So Grant is making the case that when we're saved, we actually are now free. We're no longer slaves to sin. All right. So I think your vote might be for communicable? Fine line? Eric?
Okay, so Eric said that God created Adam and Eve with the ability to choose right or wrong, so there is a level of independence. Not to just know it, but to choose to do it. Right, okay. So your vote is for communicable. Okay, good. This is neck and neck. I love these races. So Carrie shared that, uh, similar to Eric, we have the ability to choose to bring, um, w with our freedom that we have to choose, uh, certain aspects of what God has asked of us into our lives, right? Grant? Okay, so Grant is saying there was freedom with Adam and Eve, and because of their decision to sin, we've actually lost maybe some of that freedom and uh, outside of the work of the Spirit. And like you said earlier, we then became slaves to sin. We're born as sinners, right? So it is kind of an interesting cycle there. Yes? I do know what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? So, like, yes. it's, it's him who has that power. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, I don't think in any form or fashion do we have that freedom because, really, if we think we have that freedom, we're just slaves. Okay. So, a point has been made that really we don't have as much freedom and independence as we think we have because God, as God, really controls everything and we're dependent on Him. Is that fair to say? Okay. Uh, Flora? So Flora shared that even with some of our smallest decisions, God is at work, working out his plan, working out his will. And so it makes, makes her wonder, really, how much freedom and independence do I truly have? Yeah. Wayne? Reading from our little textbook, though God is completely independent, 
Okay, so Wayne has shared, it's within God's will to give us a certain amount of independence and freedom. And, um, yes, go ahead. Okay, so the distinction is made with these attributes that on a relative level, yes, we see these played out in our lives, but if we're talking about an absolute level, there is God uh, who, of course, is, has perfected these attributes. And uh, so I, I think I'm hearing maybe like a three and a half to three and a half, we have a tie. So um, I'll go back to what I shared at the very start. I think one of the first things I shared today, if you recall, is some of these are tough. To identify as either communicable or incommunicable, because I agree there's this relativity level of, yeah, you look at God and he's the, the ultimate of this attribute, and then to some degree, yeah, may, maybe we, we get some of these things. And I don't know about you, but I, I was thinking a little bit about um, this whole idea of, of independent versus dependent, um, and even in, in my work life, I mean, just think about how dependent we are on others in our lives, whether it be our work, whether it be once we're born. I mean, we are, you think about some of these things, we're very dependent creatures, are we not? Um, but then we live in the United States and we love our independence, we love our freedom. And then you start wondering, boy, looking at believers around the world, I wonder how they think about this attribute of God, if, if their thinking is a little bit different than our thinking is. Um, if, if they don't really have what we enjoy here in the United States for, for freedom and, um, and independence. Uh, but God has no problem. He doesn't have to report to anyone. He is not looking to somebody for, for direction. He's got total freedom to do whatever he'd like to do. And uh, for, for those of you, any of you like math? Any of you like algebra? Okay, didn't think so. <laughs> uh, my mind went to the old uh, Y equals where you've got an independent variable and a dependent variable. And I thought last night, I'm like, maybe I should pull up one. Ah, then they'll kick me out of here. So I didn't, I didn't pull one up on the, on the screen. So being independent of his creation, he does not need us, and he relies on nobody else. And then, again, just kind of compare that. Uh, we like to think we're independent and free, but ultimately we are not as independent as I think we think we are. Okay, so where, where can we say this in God's word? So here are a couple of proof texts. Acts 17, 24 through 25. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, even though we've, we talk about these secular humanists who like to try to put God in a box and uh, try to put him under this microscope. Now, he's, he's above and beyond that. Nor is he served by human hands. We, we don't... We don't take care of God in any sense as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind and breath and everything. Going back to really, do we even recognize how dependent we are on him even for our every breath? 
Romans 11.36, Paul writes, For from him and through him and to him are all things. And here he goes again, to him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. God. Common argument against God's independence. God, and this, maybe you've heard this in some of your interactions with people who have uh, turned turned a, a blind eye to faith. They say, well, God isn't as independent as you think he is because he had to make mankind because he was lonely for fellowship. Have you heard that argument before? God isn't the God you think he is because, well, look, he had to create us because he needed fellowship, right? So what's our, what's our counter to that argument? What's that? He created us. Yeah, uh, I think we, we did not create ourselves. He created us. And I think one idea to keep in mind here is Psalm 115.3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. So he was pleased to create humanity. Nowhere in the Bible are you going to find a verse that says, because God was lonely and needed fellowship with a sub-level of creation, that's why he created us. That's not in, in the Bible. And so I think when we're talking to these folks, what we can say is, similar to what Flora shared, by contrast, Creation of mankind is an example of God's freedom, going back to this attribute, to do as he pleases. So you can almost take it and reverse the argument with them when they're saying, oh, your God is not as independent as you think he is because he needs us for fellowship. No, we take them to Psalm 115 and we say, well, actually, God does what he pleases because he's free to do so. And he's pleased to create us and receive, hopefully, through our lives, uh, glory uh, because of the lives we live. Grant? Amen. God already had perfect fellowship in the Trinity, and I think that is, that is clear. He did not need uh, animal life. He did not need human life, but he will find glory in that. Okay. Boy, I don't know. I might have to stop here with, with five minutes to go. We might have to pick up on this next week. Kelly. Okay, so the question is, if Kelly chooses to bring a dog into her home, does that make her less independent? Okay, I think I see we're going with like a parallel, right, with, with God and us. Yeah, that's, that's a, good, that's a good, good question. So um, you, you, your time, your priorities might shift a little bit. But then with God already being outside of time and space, you know, being an eternally existent God, doesn't really matter to him, right? Eric? Oh. Amen. Amen. Eric says he's not a pet person, an animal person. I say amen, even though. Yeah. Uh
I didn't hear it. Was there, was there a comment? Was there a retort? Okay, so Eric's made the case that even in his own home, not being a pet person, he has seen uh, the bonding that's been taking place, and there are attachments that have been formed. So he, he can make a case that relationships are important to God, but yet God hasn't lost any of his independency, shall we say, right? Point has been made. God is infinite in His resources, infinite in His attributes. I would dare say, uh, whereas for us, we are not. So, uh, if we have to dedicate time, and I've got to take my dog out for a walk, uh, fifteen minutes, again, God is outside of time. Uh, he, he's not. He's not limited by that. He doesn't look back and say, "Oh, I could have used those fifteen minutes for something else." That's not something God deals with. Okay, I'm going to stop there, but I do, we have a couple minutes left, and this is something I'm going to try to do every time we look at some attributes of God. I want to open it up for uh, just a testimony time as you consider the attributes we've talked about today. We talked about God existing eternally and God being independent and having freedom. And so as we go through these attributes, please identify and think through, like, are these attributes you've had to lean on and you very much appreciate uh, God for these attributes? And maybe in some cases, some of these attributes ring true in your life more than others, right? Uh, so any thoughts as you've, as you've had the chance to um, discuss this with me today, this idea of God's eternal existence um, and God's independence and freedom you know, from your own personal life? Dan? That's a, that's a good point, Dan. It's something I, I, I didn't think about, kind of like the, the opposite angle. So God in his independence, he made us dependent creatures, which is a good thing because we have these opportunities for fellowship with each other and, of course, with, with him. So I think that's, that's well said. So a blessing in not having the wonderful independence we, we might want to strive for. Thank you. Anybody else? So Carrie shared, it's great to be able to say thank you, God, for, for who you are. And we've just actually started unpacking some of these great attributes that make up our great God. So, Amen. Well, thank you for, for sharing those things and for the discussion today. Uh, we will talk next week. I was hoping to get through this next attribute of God being knowable, but we'll combine that with another attribute or two uh, coming up. 
in our second full week of theology proper. Looking forward to that. Uh, Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time together. And uh, as, as Dan said, what a blessing it is just to be among fellow believers to thank you for who you are and all these great attributes that we we honor and we, we adore you uh, for um, being the absolute of each of these attributes. And some of these, while we may attain them to some degree, uh, may, may these attain attainments be a reflection and a reminder to us that you are the ultimate. You are transcendent. You are above and beyond this world and all the limitations that we have within this world. So we thank you for that. Help us um, as, we, as we go forward in this study, open our minds to new aspects and new angles of these attributes. Uh, thank you for who you are, what you've done, and for even sharing some of these with us. Uh, Go with us now as we prepare for our service. Uh, We pray for Pastor as he preaches. We pray that the music we sing to you will uh, worship and rightly honor you for who you are and what you've done. And uh, bless even the Lord's table as we look back and see what Christ has done for us on the cross. We thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen.